Nine. Nine. Chris, ooh, the design challenge we will be tackling today is pitch an underwater adventure that sounds workable. <laughs> and okay. why don't we uh, take the word workable and make it more exciting sounding and say that sounds fun. Okay. <laughs> sounds even better. Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And Andy, we have an exciting announcement for everybody. Roll for Topics is now a part of the podcasting juggernaut called Roll for It Media. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Tell us a little bit more about this, Chris. Yeah, so we have uh, we have created an organizational hierarchy for ourselves here. <laughs> uh, but there's, there's a reason for it. Yeah, so um, we are... We're nominally starting a podcasting network. That doesn't mean a whole lot uh, kind of for for you, the listener. <laughs> but what it does mean is that our friends over at a new podcast called The Splat Book, we can work with each other a little bit easier under this umbrella. And working with each other basically means that we have a free license to sort of talk about <laughs> talk about each other and come on each other's podcasts and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so The Splat Book is a podcast that is uh, put out by John Corey, uh, fan favorite John Corey, and Kyle <laughs> Latino, who is a... I guess he's also a fan favorite, maybe a host favorite. He probably has, we should get him a good title, something like that. But they both have done on the podcast before. And so they started this new podcast that uh, they're talking about um, also topics about role-playing games, but looking at kind of genre specifically, I guess like, so genre and then like a subtopic within within that genre as well. So the the one episode they have up right now is all about Middle Earth and using that as a canon setting. It's really good. It lets John and Kyle sort of nerd about nerd out about Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, which I I absolutely adore. So we'll have a link to that podcast in our show notes. Um, but you can also just find it, I think, at just the splatbook.com. You can go get that. And then they have, have it uh, set up so you can subscribe in whatever your podcast uh, player. That is my big announcement. I think the the kind of the part of the announcement that you should also be picking up on is like, if you've been thinking about creating a podcast and you're not sure what to do, how to get started, anything like that, reach out to us. We we uh, we like talking about this sort of stuff. And maybe you can find a home on the Roll For It Network. Roll For It Media Network. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Andy, you said that you had a question for me before we got into our topic at hand. Just a quick, uh, it's a game-related topic, and it's been a little while since you and I have checked in on kind of the RPG tangentially-related media that we've been mm. uh, consuming. What a terrible word, by the way, for, know. <laughs> to describe, you know, experiencing art. Yeah. But I have been on a Moorcock kick lately, mm. and okay. so I have been rereading a ton of Moorcock. I've reread book one of Corum, uh, book one of Hawkmoon, mm-hmm. and I'm going through the first couple of Elric books again. Yeah. And just just remembering why those are such um, special, occasionally frustrating, but, but just deeply rewarding um, books to read. And the question I have for you, and consider this maybe a mini game design challenge. <laughs> Ooh, okay. It wasn't on our table. Yeah. But I'm just curious, how in an RPG might you model the fantasy literature trope of the doomed hero Mm. somebody who has been fated by powers beyond him or herself to fulfill some sort of epic destiny whether that's to be the the savior of the age and defeat the big bad and bring about a beautiful utopian future or in the case of elric where it's a grimmer doom and uh, where he is uh he is actively fighting against the pull of that destiny throughout mm-hmm. 
most of his life. And I'm wondering, do you see a place for that in a tabletop RPG? And how might you do that in a way that is actually fun at the table, especially <laughs> especially for the other players at the table? Yeah, I would have a long, extensive monologues about how dark and dreary life is being a, <laughs> a really super cool hero with an awesome sword. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, no, I think the, the approach that I would take is uh, like you you do not get to play elric as a player i think you get to play his companions that show up oh, right yeah um like oh who's the who's the companion he's like the purple archer or something like that the red archer the red archer yes that's what it is yeah so i think you uh the the party gets to play as sort of like red archers like that that style of character so you're following following along with this guy you know this person right or you are otherwise helping them uh, and I think there has to be a sense of inevitability to like what's what's about to come. Um, so you might have to have a few twists and turns in there as far as like how how the prophecy might get fulfilled <laughs> at the end, end of the day. Um, right. Because like, I mean, you know, if players have any sort of agency. They're probably going to work their hardest to sort of get around that. Yeah. Um, I also don't think you can have that overstay its welcome too much. Right. So I think you you can't pick up like a two year long campaign at the start of it. And like you, you know that at the end, there's going to be this great, you know, cataclysm that's happening that's brought upon by your your dark and brooding hero i think it's got to be more like uh like a, a a single story like maybe you're dropped in dropped in like the the story i'm gonna forget it it's in the second elric book we were just talking about on the discord uh where uh, elric just sort of like shows up on this magical ship and they, they all have to yeah. get together you know with everybody with all the other eternal champions that do you know yep. fight this big battle i think you start with something like that so like the the players are dropped into events that are already unfolding rather than uh before they've started i like it a lot when as i've been reading through these things my mind keeps going to the blades in the dark style of like devil's bargain mm -hmm. and i feel like in the books like elric for example is sort of faced with these perpetual devil's bargains oh, yeah. like, like i'll little literal devil's bargain yeah literal yeah. devil like i'll get you i'll get you out of this impossible situation but now you've moved one step closer to your ultimate destiny. Mm -hmm. You know, the trick would be doing that at the tabletop in a way that is, you know, interesting and meaningful and and somehow manages to transcend just giving you a few bonuses to skill rolls, that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's that like those those bargains, yeah, are very much like a this is this is your last favor you can ask of this god. Right. Yeah. Those sorts of things, like these like gigantic promises that you're making that are very different from like uh you gotta yeah plus one to killing orcs <laughs> or something yeah and there's you know i feel like some sometimes the price elric pays and i wonder if this would, just, would transition to a gaming environment is you know the price is that at a future time elric's choice will be taken from him in a different situation mm -hmm. so elric accepts the aid in scene a and gets out of his impossible scrape then in scene B, a good while later, Elric is not able to resist Stormbringer, like killing his closest companion mm -hmm. and draining his soul. You know, something that Elric might, it, that in a game sense, you might ordinarily fight against. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's a way, you know, to say, hey, player, your character will get a boon in this scene. But the cost will be the next time something like this comes up, I get to, I, the GM, get to just dictate what happens i'm yeah. trying to imagine if that would be fun or not yeah there's a we're getting like so off track but i really like this uh this kind of like combative nature between mechanics and story that you're setting up 
right? So it's like you have you have a story beat that has uh, some sort of mechanical change later on down the line. So like you've agreed to get out of this tough situation, but then later on, I the GM get to play my you know like my trap card. <laughs> you know, my trap mm-hmm. card. I'm like, yeah, you like maybe you have some of that agency taken away, or you know, a story beat happens in a way. Um, that you you were not expecting. I mean, going back to my original idea, I almost wonder if you yeah you pick up maybe after one of those devil bargain devil's bargains has happened, mm. and then you're the one who has to deal with the fallout in some in some fashion. You get dropped into it, and it's like you know Elric has made a, a terrible bargain with the um you know like the water gods or something like that, and it's like the you know the water gods have decided they're going to sink the castle of your kingdom to the bottom of the ocean and it's like and that's going to happen no matter what but then it's up to you to decide who do we go down there to save you know like you know how do we swim down there you know like what you know what's the other fallout those sorts of things that's a good thought i like the idea of uh stating up front that hey um big consequence is going to happen and you can't mm-hmm. stop it yeah but there's a lot there is actually a lot of playable game space inside the big consequence for you to maybe mitigate it, mitigate the badness of it, mm-hmm. or just even just have fun and excitement in the midst of it, um, with the understanding that the big picture will just you know proceed as the GM dictates. Yeah. You know, it also makes me think. You know, we are, we are talking as if the players kind of can't be trusted to <laughs> make choices or kind of uh, direct their character towards a preordained doom. And you know, I think you and I both have that sense of like, if you tell players that they it has to be a certain way you're going to invite friction and they're going to fight against it and try to work with it. You know, I think though that presented differently, you know, a lot of players would probably be on board with like playing the doomed antihero. Yeah. So (laughs) anyway, I don't want to uh, derail our entire episode just about that, but uh, because I've been reading Moorcock and because I know you've been reading Silmarillion where the, there's no shortage of doomed heroes, uh, (laughs) that that might be an interesting one to touch on. So why don't yeah. we transition to our actual world topic? Yeah. Which is uh, the challenges here to pitch an underwater adventure that sounds workable. And I kind of admire the very low bar we've set for ourselves <laughs> with a description of that. Like yeah. we didn't, we didn't say we want an adventure that sounds exciting or thrilling. We just mm-hmm. said it sounds workable. So yeah. why don't we start with why this is even a challenge? Mm-hmm. So why, why did our greatest ambition for this topic, why was it that we come up with a workable idea? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I've been thinking about this since, since we rolled it and it's, I think it comes back to the idea that, you know, if you're going to be in an underwater space, you sort of, you're giving up control of uh, having like two dimensional movement. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, yeah. So then all of a sudden, a lot of your tricks, uh, your tricks as the GM sort of go out the window. It's like, oh, like they can go up and down and left and right. Like they can go sort of wherever they want. And then I think there's also, for me at least, thinking about underwater, it seems very vast rather than constrained. Hmm. So you're, you know, like this, I think the corollary would be, you know, like uh, if it was on a land, it's like, you know, create an interesting adventure that's um, set in like a clear cut plains right it's like you know like there's nothing to hide hide behind you know like to me thinking about this my brain immediately goes to like well there has to be something under the water that's like that's the the interesting or workable part there's something that's underneath the water it's not necessarily the water itself and maybe i am just lacking imagination right now so (laughs) you tell me actually this is fascinating because your brain went in the exact opposite direction than mine did okay faced with this challenge of an underwater adventure you started 
to worry about the kind of the unrestricted freedom that it would give PCs. Mm -hmm. And you are seem to be worrying that that will stress the boundaries of like, you know, your gameable space. Mm -hmm. Whereas I went in the other direction. And when I think of underwater, I think of an environment whose unique properties only make the game less fun on a moment to moment basis. So my thinking, I mean, I think of the underwater sequence and like swimming in a video game, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost never fun. Yeah. Uh, Why is it never fun? Because you move slower. The controls are always like way clunkier and clumsier, right? Mm -hmm. You're always surrounded. Your enemies are like fish and sharks that do not suffer any of your movement penalties. Yeah. There's always in video games, there's always some dumb timer of how long you can hold your breath. (laughs) So you've got one eye on that. And it all like it amounts to a lot of constraints. It takes away stuff from you and it doesn't really give you at least I'm, I'm overstating this a bit, mm-hmm. but it doesn't give you much to compensate for like, Hey, we've taken away your freedom of motion. We've taken away the, uh, you know, agility with which that you've come gotten used to using throughout this game. Mm-hmm. We've taken away your freedom from worrying about, you know, holding your breath. You know? <laughs> yes. And it, yeah. it, when I think underwater stuff in a tabletop RPG, I think that sort of thing, you know, I mostly think, Oh, great. There's, you're going to have to apply a penalty to every attack you make. Mm-hmm. Your movement's probably going to be slowed and you probably have to make extra rolls to avoid tripping or whatever. Mm-hmm. We've got to have some sort of breath timer going. I don't know what compelling thing you give to the PCs that makes it worth doing going through that. So that's yeah. my take. How do you respond to that? Uh, so my response is, uh, I think if, if we're treating this, you know, this design challenge uh, on face value, I think that we the first thing we need to do is decide whether or not we want those to be challenges or just to come up with a, a quick story reason why they're not challenges you know, hmm. for, okay. for yep. players. Uh, so for me, right, like the thought of trying to track like how much air you have, that stresses me the heck out. So I would want to throw that throw that away, away yeah. immediately and just say like, oh, well, actually, you're all like, you know, underwater people or like you just are fish, right? Like you're you're dolphins, mm. like, you know, yeah. kind of just like, yeah, you get to pick from uh, you know, your class list is like yeah, shark, dolphin, guppy, right? Like some of those those sorts of things. You know, so for me, like if we can, if we can start with that as our, our boundary, right? Like, so we don't have to worry about breathing. We don't really have to worry about like movement penalties. Then, then I think we can explore it a little bit differently. Does that sound okay to you or do you it, want to keep It does sound good, but here's the challenge I want to throw at, at that. Mm-hmm. If we take these design, if we imagine these design challenges as something that somebody could kind of take and incorporate into their game. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with coming up with some hand wavy reasons that those irritating elements are not a factor. But let's come up with a couple of hand wavy reasons that a party of land based adventure, roughly land based adventurers, mm-hmm. let's just come up with something hand wavy to get rid of the irritating stuff we don't like. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I've got two thoughts real quick. So, like, one, I mean, the Adventure Zone Ether Sea is going on right now. So I just want to like make a nod towards that. Like I've listened to a few of those, uh, a few of those, maybe like the first 10 or 15 or so. I don't know if you listen to it at all, Andy. I don't. But, okay. So that's like a fully underwater adventure, right? So okay. there's underwater wow. cities and stuff like that. So um, probably what you should do is just hit stop on this and go listen to what um, Griffin and <laughs> the McElroys are doing, doing over at the Adventure Zone because they they probably nailed it in ways that we haven't. But coming back to, I think, our design challenge. The thought that occurred to me was in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, 
there's a task that's assigned to some of the characters where they, they have to go underwater to rescue someone, but there's a spell that's like, well, they, they all have to decide sort of like what spell they're going to use in order to allow themselves to go underwater. So one, uh, one approach would be just like, let the players decide. Another approach would be to like time limit it a bit. Like, so say like some wizard was able to cast some spell that allows you to, to breathe underwater, but it only lasts for 48 hours. Uh-huh. You know, something like that. So then you then you make um, at least one of those challenges easier, but maybe you still keep keep some of that pressure of like what you do have to get out at some point. This is not just a perpetual thing. I like that a lot. Yeah. Shall we say that um, you know at the start of this scene or encounter or whatever it is that we're designing, the PCs have received some mechanism that lets them not have to worry about breathing. Mm-hmm. And not have to worry about the like sluggishness or, or impaired movement. Is that fair? Or Maybe do you think that keep... that takes away some of yeah. the stuff that makes the underwater environment actually interesting? I think we keep the um, sluggish movement, <clears throat> you okay. know, or like the the water based movement um, okay. from them. All right, you know, I'm I, definitely I'm definitely yeah. on board with that. Okay, yeah, I think we uh, yeah try to design around the the breathing problem because that's um, yeah as stated like not not as fun for us. Although there's probably clever ways you could take that away throughout the adventure for them yeah. or like make them re-up it in some some fashion. But I think the the minute to minute, like you got to hold your breath, that's uh, that's a bit, a bit much. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. So then to me, then the other part of underwater is is sort of <laughs> like this is a little bit of a cheat, but the like the, the transition between underwater and not underwater. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think to make this adventure workable and interesting i think you have have ways in which you can move from those spaces back and forth and maybe it's all like underground caverns that somehow water can't get to or yeah or there's bubble cities something like that i think you had need to have some of that otherwise then it's just the water almost feels like too oppressive to me yeah i think yeah like you if there's no no way out of it in any fashion it's like well then it feels like you're just applied sort of a physics layer on top of your game <laughs> rather than rather yeah. than uh yeah let me throw something out there let me just let me just pitch something and okay. and see if it will work as a basis for this so one thing that is appealing to me about underwater adventure is that it adds a third dimension to mm-hmm. a, an encounter that uh, you normally don't get to enjoy much unless you're getting really hardcore into flight and levitation spells um, yeah Part of me is like, what would like an underground cast, an underwater castle, like say if you had to infiltrate some underwater castle, even just to go in and get its treasure, if it were built by like underwater dwellers, how would you build a castle that makes sense in an underwater environment? And that sounds mm-hmm. like a fascinating train of topic. But then I also think, you know, what's fun is like interacting with an environment in circumstances that are different and weird. So there's something also fun to like interacting with like a regular boring old castle that's underwater. So now this whole new layer of three dimensions is added onto an environment that otherwise would be pretty rote and boring. Does one of those sound more fun? Well, maybe both. I think that, yeah, your adventure would probably have both. My gut is telling me the castle sounds a little bit more fun to design on air uh but maybe the city the city would be too yeah but let's uh, let's go with the castle uh because i think the the first thought that i had with the castle so if you were to transport like going back to the elric thing that i mentioned so if you had a castle like a land-based castle that sank into the ocean and settled down on the the floor the floor of the ocean or something that you were going down to there'd be a couple things that happened right like obviously like it would crack you know parts of it would kind of crack and break away if it if it falls under there it might not land it's not going to land exactly on its foundation as it was up above you know so things are going to happen there 
But then if it's underwater for any amount of time, like erosion is just going to happen. You know, the castle is not going to be in pristine condition, I think. So that's sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. number one, if it's down there for longer than, you know, a couple of years, you're going to have have everything kind of torn away. But then I think that gives you some opportunities to do some fun stuff with like magical stuff. So like say there's a magical tapestry in one of the rooms or the hallways or something like that, that is completely not disintegrated, right? It's not frayed. It looks, you know, brand new, even underwater, right? I think you can point out, you can almost like, you can ratchet up the the contrast between elements inside of the, the castle uh, that way. I think in a little bit of an easier way than you might um, if it's just on the land. So at some point in a while ago, a castle or a, a small castle, a small fortress sank under the ocean. It's mm-hmm. been down there long enough to get like, you know, partially covered by silt and sand from the ocean floor and for that er- er- cool erosion to have set in yeah. and for sea creatures to have moved in and made it their home. So your party needs to go down there for some reason. There's the obvious, you've already mentioned a couple of go-to standards. You know, there's a thing down there you need to retrieve. So mm-hmm. what might we have to get out of there? And yeah, let's hear it. Okay. The, the entire castle. Oh my <laughs> uh, goodness. Yeah. So Andy, the, the castle was in the sky. So it was a, a castle in the clouds somewhere. For some reason, the magic failed. This thing dropped out of the sky, you know, hit the ocean and is sunk down to the bottom. <laughs> and you have been you have been tasked to get the castle out of the water. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. That's so much better than the like, yeah, there's a magic sword down there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that is wonderful. So yeah. let's try to nail down some details. So okay. just real briefly, why did the castle fall out of the sky? Um, why did the castle fall out of the sky? Do you like the idea that there was some sort of like devil's bargain made by by someone else i mean i I, I, like i know that was just a throwaway idea but i'm kind of i am all for incorporating our throwaway intro conversation into the adventure pitch yeah okay so let's say um was it the the king or was it some other other party in the kingdom that that made this terrible bargain uh i like the idea that somebody else made the terrible bargain okay and so maybe the king like the king's the one who's tasking you with getting the castle back who would plausibly be able to to create such a bargain that would result <laughs> result in this? So what if uh, what if somebody in the royal family, like a a bitter child of mm-hmm. the king or something like that, who technically has the you know a right to the castle in a mm-hmm. way that would make like quote legal sense, has bargained it away in exchange for some has frittered it away in some sort of ill-advised deal with uh, some a power or a sorcerer or a yeah. spirit or something. Yeah, what would be, like, maybe, um, yeah, the the water god and the, the sky god, uh, you know, have been fighting, something like that. And, like, this was a way for the water god to sort of get back at the sky god. So you have sort of yeah. this, like, cosmic battle. The water god offered something to the, the child. I don't know. Like, maybe the child always wanted to go fishing or something like that. You know, like, so they've been fishing off of the clouds and, like, the child always wanted to catch a shark. And it's like, well, I'll let you catch the biggest shark ever if you just... Yes. You know, if you just go down that. go down yeah. to the sub-basement and flip the giant switch from on to off on the magic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't have to get too deep yeah. into the backstory here. But I love the idea of somebody, you know, a young, impetuous person who was like yeah sure whatever Mm -hmm. like not thinking through the terms of the deal very well i really really need to catch this biggest shark to impress the princess or something like that Mm -hmm. so yes sure whatever you can okay you can claim you can claim one dwelling place from our kingdom yeah (laughs) uh, yes 
Yeah. Okay, so then the sea, uh, the sea gods or something like that, uh, pulled the castle out of the sky and into the ocean. So, mm-hmm. what's uh, what's the situation down there right now? Maybe just for fun, like let's say when it hit, it just it, like cracked the castle in half. Okay. So like you almost have like these two halves, and then as they sank, they like they came apart. You know, as they settled, right? So then you can have, I think, then then you kind of create two spaces to to play with in there. Like maybe they maybe they fall and like in between them is the city that we mentioned briefly. Yeah. Right. So you you almost like you have like you know a mile off one way is one half of the castle, the city in the center, and then a you know, mile the other way is, yeah. is the other half. That's perfect. Yep. That makes uh-huh. total sense. Um. So uh, probably there you know there was people inside of the castle that came. Down, oh, for sure. Yeah. Down with it. So, I mean, I think then you can have survivors. You can have people that that did, didn't make it. I guess, what are some fun ways that people could have survived uh, down there? Survived, like maybe did they make quick bargains with the, the water god? Yeah, so I think you've, uh, there would be a few knowledgeable people, maybe a couple of, you know, like the king's wizard might have the wherewithal to do this, but also, you know, a, um, you know, some magic using locals or something like that might be able to make a, a cut a quick bargain with the mm-hmm. water god uh, to survive. There's always these sort of horrible, I guess they're probably quasi-urban legends about like in shipwrecks where people wind up in air bubbles down there. Yeah. You know, and like uh, they live for like 40 days and then on day 41, the rescuers show up yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. So that can't get people through years and years of living. But I wonder if in some sort of fantasy-ish way, mm-hmm. there is like a community of of surface dwellers down there in some sort of artificially maintained air bubble. Oh. Um, and they've and they've adapted. This is their world now. They're not really trying to escape anymore because they've judged it futile. So yeah. there is a little community of like just regular old people down there. What do you think? Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, some sort of bubble. And like maybe they are... They're like frantically by the time you arrive. So they've been down there long enough that, you know, food stores are running out. Like, so I don't know, like maybe they, you know, maybe they, yeah, quickly had the wherewithal to run down to like wherever the food storage was in the kitchen like Mm -hmm. that and create this initial bubble. Right. And then they're, they're trying to expand it more and more as they can, because, you know, they've done the math. They can't make it to the top like that. So you have this bubble of survivors down there. They're like at each other's throats cuz it's, you know, year 2, <laughs> you know, 2 or 3. Yeah. Like that. They probably found ways to like sneak out, sneak out for a little bit. So maybe they can hold their breath for minutes at a time, but they, mm-hmm. you know, they can run out to get some fish or something and come back in into the bubble. So I think that would be that'd be a fun fun thing. I mean, you could also do you could also have like, you know, the king and his wizard could have also done that as well. So maybe there's like these two pockets of of people that are in the same castle, but they just haven't known that they've, they've been there. That creates the possibility for like conflict between those two factions that the PCs could possibly mm-hmm. get pulled into. And let's make sure that the PCs must interact with or get help from at least one of these little communities in order to accomplish their goal. Yeah. They like, um, you know, if there is some sort of easy magic to get it back up, you know, or there's, you know, someone who knows, knows like what the, what the original deep dark magic was that got that that put the, the castle in the sky for the first time. What do the PCs have to do to get the castle back up there? And let me let me throw out a little background suggestion. Let's like what if the seeking, you know, he loved his castle for like a year, but because he's fickle and born about by currents of uh, of emotion and desire, he is already 
forgotten the cool castle that that he liked and so he has moved on so he so the castle is can be retrieved the sea god is not going to you don't have to kill the sea god to get it back out (laughs) yeah so what's the mechanism is it like a mechanical device is there like a literal engine down there that you need to restart is it Hmm. magic is the castle being held down by magic that counteracts it's like normal floating magic i don't know what do you think yeah, I think, you know, thinking about the mechanism by which it's down there or just or also how it gets get back up. I mean, I think you give your players a few options for how how it comes out and leave yourself open to suggestion for, for other stuff. So, I mean, I think the, the ideas that come come to my mind is like, yeah, maybe there is some sort of magical means that gets it up there. Maybe like the original way it got up there was was magical, but then they found a mechanical means to keep it up. You know, mm. after a couple decades like that, because, you know, the, the wizards were getting tired trying to keep the spell it, going. It's like a backup system. Yeah. Uh, maybe they anticipated they couldn't keep the magic going forever, so they mm-hmm. did some sort of backup system. Okay, go on. There should also be a bargain for the players to, like, go back on whoever gave them this quest and, like, you know, for the for the water god to just keep it down there. <laughs> mm. Right? Yep. To, you know, like, uh, like, hey, instead of that, what if you do this? And, you know, this great thing will happen. Um, but then, you know, maybe you have that city, like the city that's already down there of Merfolk or, or whoever it is. Maybe they want it. They want it, right? They want to keep it down here because they like it. They've started oh, to move in. They've gotten lots of fun stuff from this thing. Like, why would you try to take this away from them? Uh, you know, like this great gift that the water god gave to us. Like, it's not yours. Why Why do you try to take it? <laughs> yeah. This is a situation where like you, you know. We trust you as the GM to like fill in the details here. You know, is mm-hmm. it merfolk? Is it crab people? Is it mm-hmm. whatever? You know, who? what are the dangers? Uh, stuff like that. But like, so what if we have this underwater environment that consists of two halves of a castle and an underwater settlement of some sort? Yeah. You can decide the exact, de- you the GM can decide the exact details of what's going on in those places. But we have a couple of factions. We have one faction is the the underwater society that is down there that lays claim to the castle because it fell on their city. It's theirs, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then you have two separate survivor communities holed up in one or both of the castle pieces. Mm-hmm. And we'll, it would be great if those two communities didn't like each other or had cross, were working at cross purposes. Maybe one is wants to stay down here Mm-hmm. and adapt to underwater life or whatever and make some arrangement with the local underwater with the merfolk and yeah. maybe the other is just hell bent on getting back up into the sky so that's three factions for your pcs to bump into and i think that that's plenty of factions yeah, right i think yeah three factions plus you know various demigods as well yeah exactly and then in the background you have this super the the supernatural uh, background radiation of this mm-hmm. um, situation so chris why don't what if we wrapped it up by throwing out and let's be quick on this what are three encounters that could really only happen in an underwater castle mm-hmm. that gms could pepper into the adventure or use as inspiration um you know i'm thinking of like a whale honestly like you know some sort of large underwater creature that you would not be able to attack really like it comes by and just takes a bite out of like an entire room, <laughs> entire room of the castle, like while, while they're down there or like tries to ram into it in, in some way. Yeah. So you have, you have a threat down there that it's just, it's too gargantuan for your players to really do anything about. So they just need to find a way to survive. I like that. And you know what, as, as I think about like underwater movies and stuff, it, that is kind of a feature of 
the genre, right? It's some mm-hmm. sort of mammoth creature that's almost just an environmental reality rather than like yeah. a monster you would fight. So a whale or a giant squid or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. And it periodically, I don't know, it, it if it's annoyed by the feces or something, maybe it just periodically like smashes a section of the castle to get at yeah. the feces or something like that in a way that it's not really intended to hurt the feces, but to like shake up the environment. Okay, so that's a good one. You got one? I'm kind of intrigued by the idea that like, you know, the bottom floor of the castle would have lots of like silt and sand built up uh, on mm-hmm. it. So I don't know, I'm just wondering, it doesn't sound very fun to say you have to dig down into the sand to get at what you want, but uh mm-hmm. I, but that would be that would be a real challenge. I don't know. Any thoughts? Oh no, on... I like I like that a lot, right? Because if you, you know, like so, if it's picked up a bunch of extra mass while it's down there, like the mechanical stuff isn't going to work until you deal with that. I think that's just that's like a nice like, hey, pl- players, just be clever. You know, how are you going to clear this, clear this out? You know, it's like um, right because that's not an insurmountable task, but it's also something you have to think about. You know, if you're going to raise this thing up. So then, for our last uh, bit, Chris. What's like the scariest type of underwater like nightmare fuel mm. uh, that y- you've seen photos of or something like that 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 can be lurking somewhere in the castle? When I was little, like I don't know, maybe eight or ten or something like this, I was at a water park one time, and they had these like lily pad structures. They were probably like maybe ten feet across or so, like, like that, that you could you could walk across to get across like you know part of the pool. So it was like super cool, super fun. Um, and it wasn't a super strong swimmer at the time. So like I'd fallen off and actually went under one and oh. I wasn't sure how to get back out from it. And I just like, I still have this moment of panic when I think about the, like not being able to breathe and also not being sure like which way is up and how to get oh, from, yeah. up from under, under trap. So I think like, you know, if you're underwater, you have to have at least one of those sequences where you have to swim through a cavern that is like the the size of you you have to go underwater kind of swim through it to get you know get out to another yep. another area in order to get out and it's got to be pitch black right so it's just like you know you all this all this stuff is working against you yeah so i think you need to find a way to remove remove the um you can just breathe underwater portion of this adventure that we've talked about like a couple of times in there strategically yeah like if you're playing a system that allows for consequences to happen as a result of die rolls it seems like an obvious one like you 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 lost your breathing apparatus you know (laughs) for a turn or two Uh, yeah so i was thinking so one thing that has always kind of freaked me out is like i find jellyfish like oh i find jellyfish kind of creepy yeah i mean individual jellyfish are cool and cute and stuff but the idea of like you know drifting into like a forest of these floating Mm -hmm. jellyfish and being kind of having limited ability to get out getting entangled in them or maybe maybe even something more mundane like just getting entangled in kelp or seaweed you know yeah is like uh is creepy to me and those seem like good sorts of natural obstacles or threats that you could just pepper around any Mm -hmm. other the environment while anything else is going on yeah like if there's a few drifting clumps of like kelp that you could get um caught Mm -hmm. up in and and especially if your system can evoke sort of that panic, like if, if you've ever brushed up against like seaweed yeah. while you're swimming in the ocean <laughs> stuff, I mean, there's this sort of visceral revulsion and panic that you feel that's out of proportion to any actual threat you're experiencing. Oh, totally. So I don't know, you know, maybe look at your game mechanics and see like how can, you know, and this would work also for your, uh, you know, keeping your head straight while uh, mm-hmm. when you're disoriented in a dark underwater place. So, yeah. 
Yeah. That's good. Um, okay, so uh, just one one kind of like last thought that I have for you is like, what is something that is like super magical that they could find down there that's that's unrelated to the adventure as planned? Well, my first thought is something that how do you get rid of something? You chuck it into the ocean. So yes. yeah. what you take it way out in the ocean, you chuck it in. What would someone in the past have wanted so badly to keep away from everybody else they wanted it to go away forever so they chartered a boat and sailed out and they dropped it like <laughs> what what would that have been you know i mean you, yeah. you know we've talked about tolkien and stuff you know i don't remember if it's actually suggested as an option in the tolkien books but you know when they're trying to figure out what to do with the ring for example there's that sense mm-hmm. of like well could we could we bury it? Could we yes. drop it yeah. in the ocean or something? So I'm yeah. not saying it needs to be the ring of power that the <laughs> PCs find, but I don't know what might, what might be dropped deliberately into the ocean. Yeah. I mean, I think something along those lines, or, you know, you could have, maybe there's some sort of artifact of that kingdom, you know, the, the sky kingdom that was dropped down there by some sort of rival, right? Like they, they captured a town somewhere and they dropped like the you know great 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 grandfather's body or like a statue of him like oh, a yep. statue made out of like some sort of yeah magical magical metal like that that will, will not fade right it's just sort of in the middle middle of the area down there heck like maybe maybe even maybe like that city of underwater people like they have it in their town square and like it's it's revered for some reason right and then it's like oh now the castle's down here too great this is ours yeah and i kind of like the idea that they've they revere this object maybe without knowing what its significance uh is to the surface people that created it so yeah okay (laughs) okay yeah maybe maybe it's the maybe it's the throne and somebody's using it as a chair in the in the uh (laughs) you know the the underwater courthouse or whatever but okay Well, let your imagination run wild, Jims. Um, mm-hmm. So, Chris, I think we ought to wrap it up uh, there yeah. for time purposes. Well, Andy, we did it. We did it again. We uh, we brainstormed our way to an idea that I actually want to run. So that's I think I that's know. a success. <laughs> I know. That's the question I always want to ask at the end of these. You know, okay, did we create something that you would actually want to run? And for me, the yeah. answer is yes. Like, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. now want to go out and think more deeply about uh these things so anyway hopefully we've inspired a little bit of that in in you too dear listener oh yeah for sure yeah um well yeah as always if you have any feedback you know please let us know um you know please share the podcast with your friends uh make sure you check out the splatbook um podcast as well at the splatbook.com um but yeah i think that's it uh we will be back in a few weeks with even more great ideas about (laughs) about role-playing games they're 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 good ideas i would say um maybe not great <laughs> no Chris, yeah, I, mean, uh, I mean they are great they're the best of ideas oh they're best I mean, yeah there's no we notes. are now a yeah. podcast media empire we can't none of the <laughs> self-deprecating stuff anymore yeah okay well I, I think that's um that's it for right now then i've been chris salzman i've been andy Rao. remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm 